Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, am I on? Yeah, cool. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, the week before last, my entire family came down with a bit of a, um, a bug actually and it was almost like dominoes on Monday Noah was sent home from nursery on Wednesday and Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday Emma got sick Friday Phoebe my daughter was really ill and then on Saturday evening my um, eldest Naomi got sick Saturday evening I was still strong I was good I was standing firm um, <coughs> When I woke up on Sunday morning, I didn't feel any of those things even. Actually, I was due to preach. I'm very thankful that um, Owen um, stepped in for me at the last moment. Really thankful for um, Faith and Lally covered um, Emma on um, on kids. And just if you're new at Beacon, we're not always constantly ill. We've heard that Owen's off. We are like a strong kind of physically healthy church as well, spiritually healthy. Um, I remember a conversation I had with uh, Bill a few years back about um, prayer. Uh, at the time, I think the church must have been doing something around the fruit of the Spirit. I can see Beale's looking a bit worried at back. It was a good conversation that we were, we were having. And he made a comment that um, stayed with me. He was talking about patience. And if you're praying for patience, be sure that God is going to bring some situations your way that will test you to see how your patience is developing. And I, I've been thinking about that over um, the last couple of weeks. Uh, as lots of you know, I'm a teacher, and um, in September... I I moved down a couple of year groups. I started teaching in year three after a gap of a few years. And I love year three. The the kids, this class are great. Uh, The support staff there are great. But there there is one issue, I say one problem with being in year three, and you have to do the Christmas nativity. So so some of you are probably thinking, why why is that an issue? Surely putting on a Christmas nativity must be one of the most wonderful experiences a person could ever be involved in. And you may well think that because you've probably never had to put on a Christmas nativity and all that it involves. You've never been at Sainsbury's on a dark and gloomy December evening wondering and worrying if the angel costumes you are picking up are going to do full justice to the role. I have been there. It is stressful. So if you could be praying for me uh, as we, um, in the upcoming weeks, that my patience will stand the test. Um, I imagine that there are some of us here who are um, really organised, really um, like to plan well in advance for significant events. And I imagine there are other people who are at the other end of the kind of scale, that actually they have no problem leaving things to the last minute, doesn't stress them out at all, and they're okay with that. And I think those, both of those approaches can be um, applied to Christmas. When you're a teacher, whether you're organised, whether you're last minute, teaching kind of forces you to think about Christmas quite early. And so with the nativity and everything, that's what I've been doing. I've been thinking about Christmas and It goes without saying that the most important thing about Christmas is Jesus' birth, God entering creation, dwelling among us. But I think it's fair to say that although not as important, there are lots of other things to enjoy about Christmas as well. Time off from work, time with the family, food. At Christmas time, food is one of the things I really enjoy. And I think I'm reminded at Christmas that 
Um, there are certain foods and certain drinks that just go well together. They just really complement each other. So um, today we're going to start off with a bit of a game. It's kind of almost like a word association game. So if I went, you know, cat, you say dog, we're going to do it with food and drink. So um, a food item or drinks going to appear on the screen and you need to think, what do I feel most complements it? best, okay? Um, so as always with Beacon, it might be a bit of organised chaos if you just want to shout out on your ideas. So we've got mulled wine. Mince pies. Oh, there's real unity within this church. <laughs> Mince pies. Well done. On to the next. Roast turkey. Ooh, bit more daring kind of ideas. For me, it has to be the cranberry sauce. Oh, tough crowd. Um, so not all of them are festive, actually, I have to say, so I'm, I just like thinking about other things I like, really. So strawberries, cream, well done, and finally, um, coffee. Ooh, it has to be cake. Now, if you're ever having me over good quality coffee, cake, I'll eat whatever there's going. I really don't mind. And um, now, this would never happen because our hospitality team is amazing. But if you think about the first one, mulled wine and mince pies, if you went at the end of our carol service and you went to the back and you grabbed a glass of um, mulled wine but there were no mince pies, you could be slightly upset, maybe a little bit disappointed, but the, the consequences wouldn't be dramatic. You'd get over it. You'd still be able to enjoy that nice glass of mulled wine. Um, some things, even though they work well together, can be separated and it's not a big deal, but that's not always the case. Uh, we're continuing with our series on James, Faith at Works, and we've been um, looking at over the course of a few weeks with a few gaps in between, been thinking about dealing with trials, having joy in the trial. Matt spoke about the Bible being a mirror to us and how we need to avoid being like someone who looks in a mirror, notices something, and then walks away and forgets. Owen spoke about not showing favouritism. But today we've um, reached arguably the central theme of James's letter, faith and deeds, and sometimes deeds referred to as works. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 14 to 25. And it's worth saying that at first glance, these verses can, can be misinterpreted, and then sometimes people think, are they contradicting kind of other teaching in the Bible? What I hope to show is actually these are two things that should not be separated, they in, uh, they complement each other, they're intrinsically linked, and because of that, they're a blessing to us. Um, the scripture um, should appear on the screen. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're we're thankful for such an amazing time of worship. To be reminded of your, your character, that you are the way maker, you are the promise keeper but also to be reminded that you are high and lifted up. You reign, you are sovereign. And we ask that you continue to be present with us, speaking to us, and we pray that you're glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. As I said, sometimes um, this passage is wrongly seen as contradicting other teaching in the Bible, um, particularly by the Apostle Paul about grace, which is probably best summarized in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. So on the one side you've got Paul saying, it's faith, it's not works. But here, James is clearly saying that works are in some way um, significant. And we can often forget when we're reading the New Testament that a number of the books are letters. And letters sent to a particular church or a letter circulated amongst a group of churches. And when you're writing a letter, when you're doing it, you're trying to communicate something. There is a purpose to the writing. Um, if you received a letter in the post and you opened it and saw there was nothing inside, or there was just blank pages, it would be strange. Um, why is someone bothered sending these to, um, this? Um, letters are always trying to communicate something, but they don't always communicate everything. When Paul was writing his letters inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was addressing certain issues, and one of the major ones he would often address was legalism. Uh, the idea that in some way we could earn our salvation, in some way through our own efforts we could make ourselves right before God. Um, so what Paul is explaining in Ephesians is that by faith alone we are saved. Sin separates us from God, so God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. He who had no sin became sin for us. Or it was addressing some kind of teaching, almost like the gospel plus, that yes, Jesus did come and he did die for you, but you need to do this extra thing just to be, make sure that you are saved. Um, in writing his letter, James' main purpose isn't to address legalism among believers. His purpose is more to explain, when I have come to saving faith, what does that look like in my life? So maybe address how people say one thing, profess a faith, um, but their actions indicate something else. What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have deeds? And he goes on to give that example. A brother or sister without clothes and daily food. Someone says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their actual physical needs. Um, There are numerous occasions in the Bible when God makes it clear his displeasure at his people when there is inconsistency. You think of Saul, the king of Israel, when he didn't fully carry out God's instructions in defeating the Amalekites. To obey is better than to sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. 
In those times, the sacrificial system was the main form of worship. So what God is really saying here is, you worship me, but you don't obey me. In Amos, uh, the prophet calls out the people of God because of their treatment of the poor. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Quite strong stuff. Um, So if we're wanting to avoid that inconsistency, um, the best thing to do is for us to embrace certain spiritual realities. Um, The same goes for a picture can paint a thousand words, um, but sometimes a picture in trying to communicate one thing uh, misses something else. Um, The picture on screen is often used to illustrate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it does a lot of things really well. Um, It shows because of our sin, we are separated from God, and there was no way of in and of ourselves as us bridging um, the chasm. But Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose again. A way has been made so we can have a relationship with God again, and all good. And that is all amazing, but the thing it misses, the thing you could come away thinking is, The cross is something to be ticked, almost a box to be ticked and to be move on from. For almost once you've crossed over from one side to the next, as amazing as that is, you can forget about it if you're not careful. And actually, if we go to the next um, next slide, I often think that actually, and this has been the reality in my life, there's a special moment I still remember in coming to faith but actually, in some ways, the cross has become bigger as my life has gone on, as my relationship has been deepened with God. You become more aware of his holiness, his perfection, his glory. And in some ways, I'm more aware of my own sin, how far I, feel sh- I fall short of that. And actually, the cross has become bigger because you remember, oh, what he's done. Wow, it took that much to bring me into a relationship with him. Um, The letter of James is full of challenging verses, but one of the most for me is verse 19. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Ouch. Um, Knowing certain things does not necessarily make Christians distinct. What makes us distinct is when we allow this knowledge to transform us, for it to bear fruit in our lives, for it to be a lived-out experience. I'm not sure if you've um, had this experience as a child, but I think it's a fairly common one that you're at a wider family gathering and you're maybe it's a past celebrating someone's birthday and that elderly relative totters over to you um, that you haven't seen for a while and they kind of go, oh, my, haven't you grown? And at that age, you're like a bit like when you're a child, you're like, well, I'm just the same that I was when you saw me a few months ago. And for a child, when you're that age, you're kind of not going about, it's not something on your mind how much you're physically growing. You're not thinking as you're playing with your Lego. In the last couple of months, I'm pretty sure I'm a couple of inches taller. You just take it for granted. The only way you know is if someone tells you, or you do one of those, someone measures you and charts how you're growing um, on the wall. And... It's easy to read this passage in James, and if we're not careful, doubt. Does the faith I profess match up to my actions? Is there inconsistency between what I say and what I do? Um, Now, we always have to be open to the Holy Spirit revealing stuff to us, but I often think, actually, we're harder on ourselves than we need to be. Um, 
we're not always the best judge of how we're doing spiritually. And that's why it's important to recognize that actually faith is best worked out in the church family. Um, it's quite often been my experience that when I've been feeling discouraged about something, when I felt spiritually stuck, um, that the breakthrough hasn't always come through personal prayer. It hasn't always come through my personal reading of the Bible. Quite often it's come from some, a member of the church family offering a word of encouragement. Um, they've shown sympathy and empathy for how I'm feeling. They haven't been dismissive of my feelings, but I've also been able to say, no, no, you're not the same person. You've grown. You've changed. And when it's important thinking about faith and works, this relationship between the two, to avoid discouragement, one of the best things we can do is step into the church family. Because if you don't step in, you miss out on blessing. You miss out on encouragement. And um, I'd be the first to recognise that your stage of life can affect how you step in, but do and try it and step in. Community groups, the coffee morning, um, serving at feedback, they can all be a means of great spiritual blessing to us. And it's so much more enriching than trying to work out your faith in isolation. It's... Definitely worth mentioning as well, thinking about within the church, the significance of faith and works, the relationship together. Actually, it's thinking outside ourselves, the community we're trying to, um, trying to reach. There isn't one typical way that a person comes to faith. God knows us better than we know ourselves, and even though they might be common threads amongst us all, actually, in many ways, our journey is unique to us. Um, however, the way a church serves the community in which it's based sends a powerful message. It challenges opinions that people can have about the church, maybe thinking, oh, Christianity is just navel-gazing. They're just thinking about their spiritual state all the time. But when a person sees what the church does in the community, um, how it serves people in real need, it gets them thinking. Uh, Tim Keller, a well-known pastor and author says that when a person sees a church caring for their community and doing works of justice they get interested in justification they get interested in the gospel when they see that a church really cares and has that outworking of their faith that can be actually the entry point that can be the bridge for them coming in and being receptive to the gospel what we do on Sundays is hugely significant Um, what we do throughout the week is hugely significant as well. It says in Galatians 6, let us not grow weary in doing good. And for us, we call beacon our church. Let us not grow tired of supporting those kind of ministries that we have for our community, for CAP, Food Bank and Orchards. And to be soaking them in prayer. Um, keep, the, keep John, CAP and the Food Bank teams in your prayers. I think they're approaching the time when those hampers are going to start getting prepared as they kind of deliver them to um, get them ready, deliver them to a number of families in our community at Christmas time. Be keeping the Orchards team in your prayers as they're seeking to kind of um, get freedom from women who have experienced sexual exploitation. They're just about to start thinking about their second property for safe housing. Um, these are ministries that support, kind of try to meet the practical needs of our community. But we must remember, in trying to meet the practical needs, they fight a spiritual battle as well. It's key for us not to separate faith and deeds, but keeping them both together means that we can serve the needs of those around us more effectively. Because I say there's two dangers that maybe we need to avoid. 
um, if we're trying to keep this um, link between faith and deeds. And the first is this. Deeds primarily motivated by needs. And to say that's a danger, it sounds like a bit of a strange one, to say surely we should be motivated by what we see around us. Surely when we see how people are treated, the injustice they face, the poverty that people can find themselves in, surely that should be our motivation. Um, But if that is our primary motivation, we can get into some problems because we live in an amazing city, but wow, what a lot of need. And actually, if the need is your motivation quite quickly you'll be trying to meet every kind of need that you see and actually that can lead to burnout for an, that can happen for an individual and it can happen to a church but actually when we see that our primary motivation is a response it's a response to what Jesus has done it's how his, the faith in him has changed us um, we avoid that, whatever we do is sustainable, it comes out of an act of worship the works flow more easily and we can meet the um, needs of the community around us we want to be in it for the long haul, and we can only do that when we need, recognize our needs are first and foremost a response. We must have compassion on what we see, but at the same time realize that we act out of a loving response to what God has done. And that also helps with the second danger of avoiding hardened hearts. In the passage in James, we see that inconsistency between words and actions. Over time, if we're not careful, our hearts can become hardened. That can manifest itself in a number of ways, but one of them is often we become dismissive of other people, lacking in compassion. If we lose sight of the fact that we are made right with God by faith, um, we lose sight of the extent of what God has done for us. Um, There's that parable of the unmerciful servant when he is forgiven a large debt And he goes out, he leaves leaves his master's presence and he goes and finds another servant who owes him a much smaller debt and gets him thrown in jail. And Jesus makes a point in that parable, actually, when we recognise how much we're forgiven, actually our response should be to forgive others, um, to extend forgiveness. When we appreciate the extent of God's saving work, how far we were from him and how much it cost him to reconcile us to him, it keeps our hearts soft. It shapes how we relate to those in need around us. Um, When our hearts are hardened to the needs around us, we can even start to think, maybe if they tried a little harder, maybe if they worked a little bit harder, they wouldn't be in this situation. Again, that um, pastor I mentioned, Tim Keller, poses the question of, what would it have been like if God said that to us spiritually? Work a little harder. Try a little harder. Um, but that's not what he did. Um, he recognised that it needed Jesus. It needed his son to come. The passage ends with two uh, figures from the Old Testament, Abraham and Rahab. And I just want to end by um, mentioning a couple of things about them. They are held up as examples of the same thing for demonstrating their faith through action Yet, they are very different. Um, Abraham was the father of the Israelite nation. God made a covenant, an agreement with him, saying that his offspring would be like the stars in the sky. And at that point, Abraham was old, childless. um, But God was faithful. Um, He provided a son for Abraham. But later, God tested him. And he asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. But the last moment the angel of the Lord um, spoke... um, 
spoke to Abraham, telling him to stop, and that God had provided a ram to sacrifice instead. And James, when he's talking about this, he's not saying that the action itself um, made um, Abraham, justified Abraham, but it actually demonstrated the faith he had. And a relationship with God can lead to amazing works. It can lead to incredible acts of faith. To come through that test, Abraham must have understood, he must have had an appreciation and knowledge that if God was asking him to sacrifice his one and only son, he would, have able, he would have been able to do something miraculous that would have meant his offspring would have still numbered the stars in the sky. Years later, the people of God, the Israelites, descended um, from Abraham, are being led by Joshua, and they're about to enter the promised land. And in advance of that happening, Joshua sends two spies in to view it, especially the city of Jericho. Um, the two spies stay at Rahab's house, and having heard stories of God's saving work, um, she hides them from the king of Jericho at great personal risk to her. And Rahab, um, she wasn't part of the Israel nation. She was what would have been a Gentile. She hadn't seen God's work. She'd only heard about them. But yet belief had come. And she, because she believed, it caused her to hide the spies. Um, and this meant that when the Israelites came to the city, attacked it, Rahab and her family were spared. And later, it's such an amazing to see God's sovereignty in all the situations. Later, we read in Matthew that Rahab is actually an ancestor of Jesus. Rahab's belief led to a deed that had amazing consequences. And I think the encouragement for us is that although the world has changed... Um, God has remained the same. Faith still comes to people in the most unlikely, the most unexpected places and in the most unlikely of circumstances. And actually, when the faith comes, the incredible works and the deeds follow. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... um, you're a God that saves and transforms. We thank you that the, the power of the gospel, that it breaks into hard hearts, it changes lives, Lord. And we pray that there won't be a disconnect from that and what we do. We pray that um, your transforming um, gospel will bring fruit in our lives, will continue to, um, to bless those around us, bless our families and bless these communities, Lord. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.